let's continue uh, praising God as we pray to him, as we open our time together uh, looking at his word. Let's pray. Holy God, we, we worship you. You are high and lifted up. Your name, Lord Jesus, is above every name. You have called us into your kingdom. We honor you, Lord, as our God and our King. We pray that you would help us to uh, reflect your kingdom here at Soshore. Help us to love one another. The love with which you have loved us, may it fill us and overflow from us that we could love one another as you love us. That Jesus, as you are in the Father and the Father is in you, would we be in you and you in us? And when the world looks on us, would they see your disciples, men and women who love you and love one another? Lord, this cannot come from us, but it must come from you. And I pray that you would help us to love you, to love each other. The grace that we have received from you help us to extend to one another, that we might be a new kind of kingdom in this world centered around the king, the true Israel, Jesus, the Messiah. As we take a look at this new kind of kingdom in your scripture this morning, I pray that your spirit would minister to us, open our eyes, help us to see what you have written down for us, help us to not just see it, but to believe it, and not just believe it, but for it to transform us, for it to change us. I pray that we would reflect this scripture individually and in our families and, and most of all in this church. God, have mercy on us. Help us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. This is a powerful text that we're going to open today. This is God speaking to us about the kind of kingdom that he is establishing through Jesus Christ. And there were a lot of naysayers when Jesus came the first time to set up a new kind of kingdom. And there are a lot of naysayers in the world today that call themselves by the name of Christ and are not of Christ because they're not a new kind of kingdom. This is a powerful text as God speaks to us. 
And we need, we need to open ourselves up to this text, and we need to look deeply into it and ask ourselves, are we this kind of kingdom? And if we are not, what is holding us back? Why are we not this kind of kingdom if we're not? And where we fall short, where might we invite God to fill us up? in his love and in his grace that we might reflect the kind of kingdom that he wants to bring into the world in order to save men and women and children for his glory. Now, when we read through the Bible, I want to use a metaphor. I want to just take a moment before we get into the text to explain to you how we're going to do this. Uh, I don't know where I heard this metaphor, but it's not original to me. When we read through the Bible, often we are, like, we are like little children, and I don't mean that in a bad way, in a good way, but we're like little children in the best possible way on the, the curb of a, a street when a parade is going by, and we look at one float at a time as it goes by, and we see the one float. We don't see the parade. We see the float in front of us. And we might even talk about it. And back in the day, they used to throw candy, and we would go to that float to get the candy from that float, And that would fill our pockets, and we would just look at one float after another, one at a time. That's how we often read the Bible. Now, there's a different way to watch a parade, though. You can get up on a building and look down and see the whole parade. And you can see the first float and the last float, and you can can see all of the beauty of the parade all at once. It's a bird's eye view. It's a very different way to read the scriptures, to get outside of the scriptures a little bit and to look down on them in order to see the bigger picture. That's what we're going to do today. We want to get up on that building. We want to see not just one float at a time, but all of them laid out beautifully before us and understand what God is doing in this parade of holy scripture. Not gleaning a little bit of candy from each float, which is not a bad thing to do but to get above it and to see the beauty of the whole thing. Last week, we took a look at Jesus' baptism. Uh, After Jesus' baptism, there's a long section, which we're going to look at right now, and it runs from Luke chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through to the end of chapter 6, verse 16. And this section of scripture is very challenging to say, well, how do we serve it up in a way all at once? I I read through it, and it takes about 15 minutes to read through. And we're going to do that, not first, but last. I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to read it. Because God's word is powerful. And his word is greater than my words. So what I want us to do this morning is I'm going to prepare us for the reading of his holy word. I'm going to to help us to see what it is that God wants us to see. And then as we go through it, the Holy Spirit will be teaching us and ministering to us, each according to our need, and God will speak. We can summarize this very long section with really two points. The first point is that Jesus is a new Israel. Jesus is a new Israel. And the second point, which is related, is this, that as the new Israel, 
Jesus is creating a new kind of kingdom around himself. That's, that's Luke's point in this, this extended passage from Luke 4.1 to the end of 6.16. That's what Luke wants us to know. That's what God wants us to know. Jesus is a new Israel, and as a new Israel, he is creating a new kind of kingdom around himself with himself at the center as the king of this new Israel. Now, a slight aside before we get into this. By this, I do not mean that the church has replaced the nation of Israel or that God is done with the nation of Israel. I don't mean to say that. So God is not finished with Israel. Israel still exists. God still is going to do something for Israel and through Israel and with Israel. In addition to that historical truth, Jesus is a new Israel, the center of even the nation of Israel. And the new thing that God will do through the nation of Israel is not separate from the thing that God is doing in the church through Jesus Christ. So we don't need to do an either or. Either it's it's Israel, the nation, or the church. It's Israel and the church, all of us centered around Christ, who is the core. That's all I'm going to say about that, but I just don't want to get to the end of the message and someone to say, well, you, you just dismissed Israel. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus is, is the true Israel. He is the center of the real Israel, and everything about the nation and the church and all of the people of God find their, their focus in him. Jesus is a new Israel, and as the new Israel, he is creating a new kind of kingdom around himself. Now, let's get up on the, that building and look down at the parade. In order to understand this section, we have to think not not linearly that you go from one to the next, but we have to look at the first and the last piece, and then you just, those we'll call the outer brackets, and you just come in, and the second and the second last piece, and then you have two centerpieces. In order to understand this passage, you have to see the symmetry between this. So you have the outer brackets, which are parallel to one another, then just inside of that, so the second and the second last, what I'll call the inner brackets, They are parallel to one another. And then you have two middle sections which are working together. They're parallel to one another. And when you can see that shape to this passage, then everything will make sense. So to begin with, I'm going to start with the outer brackets and work my way in. We're going to go through it twice, once very generally. Then I'm going to look a little bit more specifically. And then we're going to read through the passage, not outer toward the inside, but from the beginning to the end. But you know the shape. So the outer brackets, we begin uh, this extended passage with Jesus in the wilderness. And, And we see in this passage that he's tempted by the devil, and he resists the devil, and he's in the wilderness for 40 days, just as Israel was tempted by the devil for 40 years in the wilderness. So he's a new Israel. He's succeeding where Israel failed back in the book of Numbers. He's redoing Israel's wilderness experience that's recounted for us in the book of Numbers. That's how this passage starts. Now go to the very end, the last bracket, the very end of this passage, we see Jesus naming 12 apostles. 12 apostles is not a coincidence. Jesus is very intentional there. He's creating uh, an echo of the 12 patriarchs and the 12 tribes. Now we go to the inner brackets. The inner brackets are all about 
the rejection of Jesus. So on the outer brackets, we see that Jesus is succeeding where Israel failed, and he reforms a new kind of Israel with 12 apostles. And then just on the inside of that, we see all of the rejection of Jesus. Uh, in our second section, we see that Jesus is rejected by his own hometown, people of Nazareth. In the second last section, we see that he's rejected by what you might say are among the leaders of Israel at this time, the Pharisees. Then we come to the middle sections. In the middle section, Jesus presents his kingdom to the world and he describes what it will be like. That's the third section. The third last section or the fourth section, Jesus calls sinners and outcasts, not the righteous or self-righteous, but sinners and outcasts to be part of his new kind of kingdom. He fills his new kind of kingdom with sinners and outcasts. That's the passage from Luke 4.1 to 6.16. Let's look at it in a little bit more detail before we read through it. Again, we're going to start with the outer brackets and work our way in. I just wanted to give you sort of that general sense for the passage before we look at a few details. We're not going to look at all of them, but we'll give you enough that you can go back and reread this this week and, and see what God is doing in this part of his holy scriptures. So in uh, Luke 4, verses 1 to 13, it's the very first section. It's the front outer bracket of this passage. We see Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. As I said, that's intentional. The Holy Spirit descends on him and takes him out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasts. And what he is doing, he is reliving Israel's experience in the wilderness as described in the book of Numbers. Now, now we could get into every one of the temptations, and there is something to learn about the way in which Satan tempts Jesus. But what, what's more important for our purposes this morning is to see the way in which Jesus responds. That, that Satan actually is tempting Jesus in precisely the same way that Satan tempted Israel when they were in the wilderness. And Jesus is responding to the devil in the way that Israel did not. Israel fell victim to these temptations in the wilderness. Jesus rises above these temptations. And we see, if you go and you track the things that Jesus says, Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan when he's being tempted, which is instructive for us, right? There's really good application there. When you're feeling tempted, open the Bible. It's really hard to look at Jesus through the word of God and then go on sinning. So that's instructive for us. But, but look at where Jesus pulls the scripture from. He's not all over the Bible. He's in a very focused part of the Pentateuch or the Torah. He's, he's quoting scripture from Deuteronomy 6 to 8. In fact, the very first time he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
It's all, it's all within two, no, three chapters of Deuteronomy. And, and so we have to ask the question, why, why is Jesus going back to Deuteronomy 6 through 8? Well, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, what the book of Deuteronomy is all about is Israel's been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they lacked the faith to go into the land. And in that time, in the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that God has humbled them and tested them and allowed them to be tempted by the devil. Deuteronomy is just a series of sermons that Moses gives to the nation after that 40 years as they're poised on the border of the promised land, ready to go in and to take the land. And in Deuteronomy 6 to 8 specifically, Moses is recounting for Israel all the ways in which they failed. And what they should have done And Moses' intention is to be instructive for them. When you go into the land, don't keep failing the way you have failed for the last 40 years. That's exactly where, where Jesus quotes from. And, and so what he is saying to the, to the devil and what, what Luke is saying to us is you cannot make me fall the way you made Israel fall in the wilderness. Israel fell, but I will not fall. He's a new Israel. That's the point. He succeeds where Israel had failed. Now we go to the outer bracket on the back end, and we see this is in Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. So we have a new Israel who succeeds where Israel fails on the front end, and then finally at the very back, this creates an envelope around the whole passage so that we know that it hangs together. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he calls to himself 12 apostles. They are the new patriarchs, the new tribes of Israel. So Jesus, the new Israel, forms a new Israel, a new kind of Israel around him, embodied by the apostles. See how that creates outer boundaries for this passage? Now let's take a look at the rejection of this new kind of kingdom. So on the outer edge, that's what we see. Then we just move in inward on both ends, the front end and the back end. Let's look at the front end in Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. After this experience in the wilderness, Jesus goes home, visits his mom probably, then goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he takes the Isaiah scroll, and he opens the Isaiah scroll to Isaiah 61. Now, if you know anything about Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39 are all about judgment for sin. Chapters 40 through 55 are about deliverance from sin, the suffering servant and other things. And then you get this, this last section, uh, 56 to 66, which is about God creating a new cosmos, a new heavens and a new earth. And, and, and he's going to open up this new world for some, but not for all. So there's judgment at the end of the book of Isaiah. But more than that, there's an invitation that if, if you have been saved and delivered by the suffering servant, come into the new heavens and the new earth. And so Isaiah 61 is one of those passages where, where, where Jesus goes and he says, I'm about to bring this eschatological kingdom into reality. What do I mean by eschatological kingdom? It means the kingdom that fulfills all time at the end, on the other side of time. And everyone in the synagogue knew that that's what Jesus was doing. He opens the scroll and he reads it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If he was to keep going in verse 2, it talks about to bring judgment, but he stopped short. And he says, I've, I've come to t- give you the Lord's favor. Now, what Jesus did here would be like someone walking, or let's just say Jesus, walking into our context, opening up to Revelation 21, reading it about the new heavens and new earth. I saw a new Jerusalem coming down, and I saw the dead raised up, and, and all of the glory of no more sickness, no more death, no more crying, uh, and God will be their king, and they will live with God, and he with them. If Jesus came in and opened up Revelation 21, 22, read a section of that and said, today, Revelation 21 and 22 is fulfilled in your hearing. So they understood what he was saying. And at first they marvel and you think, well, are they excited about this? Are they on board? But then Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, you're going to say to me, physician, heal thyself, which basically says, prove it, prove it. You, you say that you're going to bring the eschatological kingdom? You're going to take us to the end? Prove it. Physician, heal thyself just means you're, you're healing all these other people, doctor. Heal yourself and heal, heal your hometown. And Jesus says, no, none of that. I'm not here to prove myself to you. Believe or don't believe. And then they want to stone him. Or not stone him, but throw him off a cliff, sorry. But they want to kill him. So you see, the rejection of Jesus' hometown is symbolic of the rejection of the whole nation. Not every individual, but those closest. His own people rejected him. Now we go to the outer bracket on the other side, and we see that Jesus is rejected by the religious leaders in Israel. The Pharisees. This runs from Luke 5.33 to 6.11. And the Pharisees, they're not in the mood to learn. They, they, they're not interested in what Jesus might have to say to them. They want to catch him in sin so that they can accuse him of something. And so they challenge him. They challenge him about fasting. John and his disciples fasted. You and your disciples don't fast. You got a, re- you got a reason for that? You got a good reason for that? They challenge him about plucking grain on the Sabbath. Oh, I see you're walking through the, the fields and, and your disciples pluck some grain and they eat it. They challenge him about healing on the Sabbath. And the themes that run throughout this section are the self-righteousness of the religious leaders, the preference by the religious leaders for man-made laws and preferences over God's laws, and worst of all, perhaps, a preference for the old covenant to the new covenant, a preference for the old kind of kingdom rather than the new kind of kingdom. And Jesus says to them, you know, nobody takes a new patch and puts it on an old garment because the new patch will shrink and rip the garment. Nobody puts new wine in old wineskins because when the new wine expands, then it'll burst the wineskins. What he's saying there is there's a new kind of kingdom that I am bringing, and it just doesn't fit into the categories of the old kind of kingdom. There's continuity for sure, but there is a massive discontinuity. And if you miss that discontinuity, you're going to miss the new kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing. The old kind of kingdom looked forward to it, anticipated it, gave us a a, a shadow of it. But you cannot just take the old kingdom and 
fill it, fill, the, fill it with the new kingdom because the new kingdom will burst it open. And then da- the most damning statement that he says of, of all at the end of this, he says, no one after drinking old wine desires new wine. People just want the old kind of kingdom. Because they're going to say that the old is good enough. But it's not good enough. So you see the rejection on the inner side. Here we have a new Israel and a new kind of kingdom. And you have the people that should have been on board rejecting him and rejecting the kingdom. Rejecting his own, the people who he grew up with, rejecting him, the religious leaders who should have known the law better than anyone else and the prophets and the writings. And they reject him. They just don't have eyes to see who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so they make life difficult, and they reject him, and they reject his kingdom. In light of that, we come to the most radical, most amazing, most challenging part of this whole passage, which is the middle sections. And in the middle section, Jesus, the first middle section, Jesus presents the kind of kingdom that he has come to establish. He describes it and what it will be like. And this runs from Luke 4, verse 31 to 44. And and if you see it, there's what's called a chiasm. A chiasm is, how would I explain it? You have, you have, well, you're going to see it here. You have symmetrical content. So it starts and ends with teaching. In this section, Jesus starts by teaching, and at the very end of the section, we see that he's teaching. And he says, that's why I've come. I've come to preach the good news of this new kind of kingdom. That's on the outer edge of this subsection. And then you go in a little bit, and you see that he's casting out demons. He has authority over the spiritual realm, over Satan and his demonic angels. So he casts a demon out of a man, and then and then right second last to the end of this subsection, he's casting out demons in the crowds. And then at the very center, you have him healing people. He heals Simon's mom, and then he goes there and he heals the crowds. And people are coming from all over with all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses and disease, and he's healing them. So, so just as we have for this massive section, we have, right, new kind of king and new kind of kingdom, new Israel, new kingdom, and then you have rejection, then you have what is in fact this kingdom. You see the same pattern happening in this subsection from Luke 4, 31 to 44. He's teaching about it. He's casting out demons and he's healing people. That's what this new kind of kingdom is going to be like. It's a new kind of kingdom where everyone knows the truth. Teaching. It's a kind of kingdom where, where Satan and, the, and his demonic forces have no power, no authority, no influence. They can't oppress. It's a new kind of kingdom where there's no sickness, no diseases, no death. So these aren't just random episodes that Luke is like, oh, and then he healed somebody, and then he cast out a demon, and then he did a little teaching. No, it's very intentional. This is the kind of kingdom that the new Israel has come to establish. And then in the last subsection of this passage, the second of the middle sections that runs from chapter 5, 1 to 32, we see the kinds of people that Jesus fills this new kind of kingdom with. In this subsection, it begins 
where Jesus calls Peter. And it ends when he calls Levi. So you see the bracket there to this subsection. It's interesting. Peter says, well, we're going to read about it, but he didn't catch anything. So Jesus takes him out and says, let down your nets. And he catches all kinds of fish. And then Peter goes to Jesus and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's the kind of person in this new kind of kingdom. Self-aware sinners. Not self-righteous Pharisees. Self-aware sinners. He also represents a very blue-collar, very, in this moment at least, a down-and-out kind of blue-collar worker. He's a fisherman by trade. He's not among the most educated in the land, and on this particular day, business is not good. So he represents a sort of down and outer, a man who's just struggling day by day to bring in enough fish to feed his family. Now, on the other extreme, you have Levi, who's a tax collector. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's, he's influential, and he's, he's a sinner too. And Jesus goes to her and says, I want you to follow me. And then Levi hosts this big banquet. And he invites all kinds of tax collectors and sinners. And he might say, well, maybe Levi didn't know he was a sinner. But he must have because people are challenging Jesus for eating with Levi. And what does Jesus say? I didn't come to heal the, the, the well, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And you see no protest from Levi. Levi's an up-and-outer. Now, it's very interesting. Between the calling of Peter and Levi, we've got two episodes. One, Jesus heals a, a paralytic. Or, sorry, no, let's start first. He heals a leper. A leper is a, a person who's got a disease in his very nature, in his skin. Then he heals a paralytic. A paralytic is a, is a person who can't do what he ought to do. Hey, the paralytic would like to be able to walk, but he's not able to. These two men represent two problems for all of us. We are sinners in our very nature. We're spiritual lepers. This is before Christ. And we're spiritually paralyzed people who can't do what we ought to do. These are the kind of people that Jesus is going to invite into his kingdom. Spiritual lepers and spiritual paralytics. It's quite a passage. Outer brackets. Jesus is a new Israel who succeeds in, in the wilderness where Israel had failed. And he creates around himself a new kind of kingdom with 12 apostles reflecting the 12 tribes of Israel. Inside that, the people that should have re uh, received him rejected him. His hometown and the religious leaders. And inside of that, since he's rejected by his own people and by the religious leaders, he's going to fill his kingdom. A kingdom where he teaches the truth and people know the truth. A, a kingdom where the, the devil and his demons have no power or authority. Uh, a kingdom where there is no sickness or death or disease. He's going to invite people to that kind of kingdom, people who know that they're sinners, spiritual lepers and spiritual paralytics. That's this passage.
And by the way, that's what God calls us to be at the South Shore Church. Let's read it, and then we'll be done. This is the word of God. This is the mission of Jesus, the Messiah. This is what we are called into. This is who God has called us to be. Before I read this, let's pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to teach us. To take his words and apply them to our hearts. And would we all pray that we would be changed individually so that we as a church could be changed from one degree of glory to another. Oh God, this is such a powerful text. As we look into it, we are humbled and we cry out and we know that that we are We were sinners. We were spiritual lepers. We were spiritual paralytics. Sinful by nature and by choice. Unable to do what we ought to do. But you have come for us. You have a new kind of kingdom. Help us as we read this text to see it to believe it, to be changed. Minister to us. We do not want to be like Nazareth. We do not want to be like the Pharisees. We want to be in this kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter four. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. He said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrianite. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and it cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed. 
And they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue. And he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out with them. And they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, oh, master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing, but... At your word, I guess I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
But now even more the report about him went abroad. The great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. On one of those days he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the great crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who could forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? You may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, said to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they eat and they drink. Jesus said to them, Can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. But no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. He said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. He rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did. And the hand was restored. And they were filled with fury. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came... He called his disciples and chose from, from the twelve, from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who is called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of God. Jesus is a new Israel. And he is creating a new kind of kingdom through the church. In closing, do we at Soshore reflect this new kind of kingdom? Do we want to? In order to be this kind of church, it is important us to make every effort to avoid the trap of self-righteousness, legalism, a preference for old covenant principles, In the positive, it's important for us to follow Jesus' lead. We need to teach the truth. We, we want to go to war against the demonic spiritual forces in the world. And, and make no mistake, we are at war against the powers and principalities. So we go to war together. Not against one another, but together we go to war. Not against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his demonic army. We provide refuge and healing for the sick, for the disabled, for the intellectually delayed, for the unborn, for the brokenhearted. We're a refuge. We're a place where people want to be. Even before they're one of us, they, they want to be among us because we provide them a refuge. We provide them an alternative to the dog-eat-dog -dog world that's out there. We care more about the marginalized and the rejected than the world does. And we say, you belong here with us. We need to foster an environment of humility and repentance. 
genuine poverty in spirit and brokenheartedness. Perhaps most importantly, uh, I mean, maybe we don't want to say that. Among these important things, let me say, we want to invite people to be healed of their spiritual leprosy. To be healed of their spiritual paralysis. Who are the spiritual lepers of our age? Who, who, do we, who do we talk about in such a way that they feel like lepers who would never darken the door of the church? Gay people? Lesbians? Bisexuals? People who have had an abortion? Do we make them feel like lepers? Do we make them feel unwanted, unneeded, unwelcome? Do you know what people did with, and the, the scripture's clear, this, person, this man was full of leprosy. Like his body was rotting off the bones. Do you know what people did when they saw him? They ran in the other direction. Do you know what, what he was supposed to do? He was supposed to bang something together and say, unclean, 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 so that people wouldn't get too close to him. And you know what Jesus did? Come here, come here, come here. He embraced him. And he was healed. Would someone struggling with same-sex attraction come to us? We need to invite people who are spiritually paralyzed. Of course, unsaved people can't keep the law. They're paralyzed. Come here. Jesus got a new kind of kingdom. The world is not our enemy. The world is our mission field. So let's go into the world. Let's be ministers of reconciliation. Let's not just drop a bunch of rules on people. But let's go out into the world and say, come here. Come here. Let's fill this church with the rejected, with the marginalized, with the down and outers and the up and outers, with the lepers and the paralytics. Let's call them to come. And let us make it really hard for self-righteous legalists to be here. Because we've got a new Israel, we've got a new kind of kingdom, and we need to go out and catch some men, and some women, and some youth, and some children for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us, if we do this thing, watch King Jesus do marvelous things in our midst. You know the kind of people that Jesus invites to his table? Let's open up the table. For those who believe, it's a table of grace. Let's pray.
Oh, Lord, help us to catch men and women and youth and children. Fill up your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.